0: everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and as always, I am here with now, Facebook Liver, <gasps> Nikki Kinzer.
1: Yay! Yay. Out of the comfort zone. So fun. So we got to tell people what we're talking about.
0: <laughs> I know. We, we, did a, uh, we did our first Facebook Live event uh, with the good and kindly uh, Eric Tivers over at ADHD Rewired, Uh, Just yesterday, we recorded this yesterday, the podcast of the event won't go live as far as I understand it for a couple of weeks, but at the very last minute we jumped online and, and just started talking He said he hadn't really done it all that much himself and it would be great to experiment and lo and behold then we were live on Facebook and that was really fun. Yes. How'd you feel?
1: I, I thought it was great. It was so much fun. So if people want to see it, they can see it on our page at Take Control ADHD but you can also see it on ADHD Rewired too on his Facebook page. And it was great because I was telling you before we got on the call today that it was actually good that he didn't give me really a, a time to think about it. He was just like, what do you guys think? You want to do this? And I'm just like, yeah. And Pete was like, yeah, let's do it. Oh,
0: you would have said no. Had that been in an email, you would have said absolutely well, no. Well, if I, it had to just, that yeah, later.
1: yeah. If it had just been me and you, I'd been like, "No way, Pete!" Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Eric gave me a little bit of that push to get me out of my comfort zone and it was great so I think we're going to try to maybe do that in the future
0: yeah I think so too I don't know if we'll do it every week I it would be so nice to just be able to say you know every we record this on Fridays at 10 it would be great if we could just have this open session and take you know take questions as best we uh, we have time to accommodate uh, as we record the podcast I think it would be really exciting I would love to do it um, I'm I'm just not sure about the you know i i tried to do it this morning the technology is not easy right right uh, and and some in some cases it, you know it's it's the whole thing you can have it easy uh cheap or uh
1: pay a little uh, and
0: well, what's I don't know. There's a third leg to that. Know. You 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 can only have two. Uh, anyway, um, so <laughs> I you I could pay up. It's very expensive, or it's free and doesn't work.
1: Right, <laughs> so, right. I don't know. So, Where do we meet? Uh, yeah. yeah, but yeah, I would that's... also love to hear from um the the listeners too. If you guys, you know, what do you guys think? Would that be a value to you to see Pete Knight? Like live on Facebook. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> not, I don't, you know.
0: It's uh, nearly it, as polished as the finished podcast. Well,
1: it's not. That's the thing is you're getting kind of the, yeah, you're getting the real us. It's not the edited us. But if it is something you guys would be interested in, please let us know and give us your feedback. Because if it's not, I mean, if you guys don't care, then that's the other thing that we have to think about. That Then maybe it's not, you know, it's not worth looking into the technology. So, um Nikki yeah.
0: swears like a Viking.
1: I do not that's what
0: you people don't know. She swears like a Viking now
1: I yes. just forget to turn my phone off and it beeps throughout <laughs> the whole thing yeah that's that's what I do is i I forget to do those things uh
0: today's show was i you know I had this whole idea of thing a thing I wanted to talk about, and then we got a bunch of feedback that it's all really great uh, great questions that we got in so it's it's sort of a, a multi-personality disorder show right Uh, i want to talk about value today and the value that we apply to the things in our lives we're going to try and get to that after we get to uh, some of these great emails before we jump into that of course head over to takecontroladhd.com learn about the show subscribe for free uh in itunes wherever finer podcasts are served or of course Facebook. Uh, make sure you like the Facebook page if you are interested at all in the Facebook Live experiment we're going to try and do here. Uh, and of course, you can follow us also at uh, uh, Take Control ADHD on Twitter. You can call us at 503-664-4ADD. We'd love to get your thoughts and questions on this show. Uh, and, and use those channels, please, and let us know what you think about the Facebook Live uh, opportunity here. Would you Would you be interested in tuning in? Uh there you go. All right, so we have all this feedback. Nikki, do you have an idea where you would like to start?
1: You know, no. I am very – it's so you funny. You don't care. Well, I it's so funny because one of the things that, that I came out of our interview with Eric yesterday was I really kind of liked how it was sort of unstructured. It kind of just went wherever it wanted to go. And I, clearly yesterday's event was therapy
0: for It you. really
1: was. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, – and I, you know, I'm a structured person. I like to have a plan. I like to have like bullet points and things to talk about. Uh, but I didn't do that with this one because this this show, you know, is kind of your show because you are going to talk about um, these value things and I'm going to chime in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the follow-up stuff, I just think we should just dig in because I, I think- haven't put a whole lot of thought. I wanted to actually listen to you um, ask the question and then I'm going to just – Go from
0: there. Listener Gwen wrote in with a question. She's a PhD student uh, in the UK and uh, has really been struggling on doing any writing of her thesis over the last three years since coming back from her field work, which uh, in the backstory here was in uh, Africa. Um uh, long story short she says since i found it so difficult to do any work on this over the past while are there any techniques that you could suggest that would help me work with my supervisors and motivate myself daily with my writing a little caveat because i'm in the uk phd's here are really different to the us apparently as we never have to take classes it's essentially just the thesis over all 4 years and it needs to be in the region of about 100,000 words maybe us ones are shorter anyway it means this doing the same thing day after day for the next 10 months until my submission date. Panic stations, I'd love to hear anything you or your clients and other listeners have found useful in attempting a mammoth task like this. This is a tricky one. I It's one of the reasons I wanted to write, I wanted to add the bit about PhDs being different in the UK versus the US. Now, of course, in the, in the US, there is coursework, and then there's a long period of, of thesis, but having no course, no like in-class coursework, you miss... The the sort of routine the that's the the classes become an accountability partner in a way right, right right you you've got to show up to class you've got to do some of the work so with the absence of any of that sort of rigor and routine the daily expectations the weekly expectations of participation uh, I understand how this feels like an absolute mountain to climb
1: well it it is and I think you know a couple things come to mind when you're talking about routine that I think in this particular situation she has to kind of actually create one of her own. Um, and it probably needs to have something to do with account or have, have an accountability piece to it. So whether that is a friend or a family member, a neighbor, a a professor, maybe another student, um, would be really probably very beneficial if she can find somebody else that's going through the same thing that she's doing. But I I do think that there's probably going to be, it would probably help her to have some kind of routine in place. So I'm going to go back to this, like mini habits, right? You know, how much, I love mini habits. And one of the examples he uses is is writing, like I'm going to write one page a day, you know, and then that's what I'm going to do. Well, in her situation, she's going to have to write more than probably one page a day. So the mini habit idea is not going to necessarily work with her in the sense that she has a specific deadline where she has to write a lot of, of words. So but I could still see how you could adjust that to work in her favor. And that would mean, okay, if it's due in 10, 10 months, where is she now in the project? You know, really get a good temperature of where she is right now. What does she have to do between now and 10 months? Get some help to help her break that down on what that would look like on a daily basis, or at least Monday through Friday, maybe taking a couple of days off, you know, for the weekend or whatever her schedule's like. But I do think... There's got to be some kind of structure built in place. If she goes into this with no structure and no support and no like real tangible goals, I really see herself kind of panicking when it's now a month before it's due and she's not there yet. And then she's going to be, you know working all night long and maybe not turning in her best work. I mean, there's just, or not turning it in at all. Right. I mean, that can Mm -hmm, happen too. mm -hmm. So that's, that's my first instinct is you got to figure out how to make this happen in your daily routine. What do you think?
0: Well, you know, I, when I work with students, the trick that worked for me and, and this doesn't work for everybody, uh, but the trick that worked for me was to write garbage, right? Mm -hmm. The, the thing that I find allows me to trigger into the uh, the hyperfocus in a very positive way is editing right I, I can edit, I can revise, I can do my litter my lit analysis i can I can do uh, you know go back to my research and do all of my sourcing and and come up with all of the stuff that goes into uh, a thesis. Uh, I can do all of that. Uh, once i have something to work from but the blank page is terror yeah even in a thesis, i can see you know, you that this, right you, yeah you hear this a lot in in fiction writers too it's it's this whole idea of you know staring at the blank page is just <laughs> it's blood from a stone it's just i awful. have to so, tell you
1: it happens to blog writers I, yeah. <laughs> I mean it is so funny you say that because my blogs if you ever read them they're only a couple paragraphs long i mean we i do not like go into great great like depth. I, you know, I don't write books on my blogs yeah, by any means, right. but I totally know what you mean because this morning I did, I looked at this blank page blog post for next week title, nothing. And all I'm seeing is, is white. And then I just thought, you know what? I'm not even going to deal with this until after I do the podcast with, with Pete. And then I'll think about it. But I know what you're saying. I mean, even I can't even imagine doing a thesis with a blank page. Yeah it's it's
0: terrible. <laughs> yeah. So for me I I have to focus on the number, right? I have to focus on like I break down that 100,000 and I think okay, I am going to I'm going to break that down to roughly uh you know, it comes out to about 6 pages a day, 1600 words a day and there are six and a half pages I think when you do when you're assuming about 250 words a page and I do that kind of calculation and I write garbage I write unsighted unsourced it is all from memory of the research that I done it is just to get placeholder text in there and sometimes it's written explicitly like in this section what I'm going to be talking about is this and I remember this one guy who said this thing I'm going to have to go back and check that but I need to write this and and really write the garbage um, to get Over the hump of having the blank page, and then know you have the, these are this This allows you to see the overall structure of the narrative you're trying to tell, and it gets the words on the page so you can see you know at a hundred thousand words I, I can pretty much get it get the first really uh, we'll call it even alpha draft uh done in sixty days mm-hmm. right you You really can generate that kind of content in sixty days, and it's terrible it is absolutely terrible, but it, you know this is the thing sculptors creating. Masterpieces they start from a block of wood right, right? or a block or of, clay. of you know mm-hmm. clay or a block of stone right uh, when you're writing a thesis, you don't have even a block of stone. You have to create the stone first and and that's why I think um you know being super aggressive in the number of drafts that you expect to write of each particular section chapter, whatever. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's helpful to just have the structure in place.
1: Well, and I still have to add, I think it's helpful to have the accountability in pa- place oh, too. Oh yeah, so yeah. some somebody would, you can check in with
0: that we we actually at at uh, the university we've we've I, I've seen students pull together you know for their uh, thesis. Uh, committees will help organize, you know, writing clubs you know, mm-hmm. for, you know, years on that, that where people come in and out. But there will be a regular writing time, a regular time where you come in you with your laptop and a thermos of coffee and uh, all of your, you know, stacks of folders of research and, and you'll just, everybody will sit at a table. Sometimes no one will speak at all. Sometimes someone will say, you know, uh, give me the name of that, uh, that, you know, the capital of that country and it'll just come up. So you'll, <laughs> you know, you'll have somebody to bounce something off of, somebody to walk to the bathroom with, you know, it 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 really helps to have the, the environment of writing uh, to get again, to get over the hump of not being able to turn it on yeah
1: getting started uh,
0: yeah it's so but but nothing can underscore just how hard it is uh, yeah. Gwen it is incredibly difficult to do especially after three years that compounds um you know' I'm, I'm sure you're feeling you know I would be let me say this I would be feeling shame mm-hmm. that shame is fake it is mm-hmm. not real let it go you are you are okay you are not alone a lot of people do this don't don't let go of the brass ring, though. Don't don't do all the work that you did and let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, you you deserve to finish.
1: Aw, oh, that's nice. Good encouraging oh, yeah. words from it Pete, is. right? It's huge. Love that. Well,
0: as somebody, I see so many people go through this, and they end up here. It's ABD, you know, you go through the coursework and your PhD program, and and then you don't finish. You don't finish the thesis. You're all but dissertation. You don't finish the dissertation. You don't defend it after all the work of the research and the coursework. Not to do that, it's such a shame. It is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to see that happen. But I totally understand why it does.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so uh, anyway, good luck.
1: Yes, good luck, right. Gwen. You got us supporting N- you.
0: That's right, in your corner. Uh, All right, so the next thing we have on the list, next feedback, uh, let's see. This comes from Levi, Levi. and I wanted to get your position on this because it's relationship advice, but it's so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important. Uh, Levi is uh, writing about um, uh, – the changes that he's making in his in his life as a result of his uh um uh, his ADHD but he's going into a relationship he's going starting a life with his girlfriend and uh he he's he says I don't want to start the life with my girlfriend uh life we talk about using the same methods I've been using when I only had myself to worry about she's a catalyst for all this change and I I'm, I'm pursuing I'm currently looking for the best resource to share with her to help from a spouse or partner perspective. She's heard every explanation and analogy I could muster to this point, And I'm at the point where I don't think I'm helping anymore by explaining it. I love this question so much. How do you help someone who wants to help their partner learn more about their ADHD?
1: Oh, I love that. Well, and I love the fact that you know, he's, he's taking the the time to invest in this, you know, for their relationship. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah. that's a great way to start, uh, thinking about the future and, and getting, you know, possibly married. He doesn't say married, but you know, that, that might be in the future for them.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: you know, um, this is actually the, the relationships with ADHD, um, is, is a topic that I would really like for us to explore and and definitely take a month where, you know, most of our, podcasts have some kind of theme to it. So I would like to, uh, take a month where we can really focus on relationships and ADHD and get a couple of experts to come in and, and maybe answer some questions and get really more specific, um, about this issue. Cause I think it's, it's huge. Uh, but a couple of things that, that just come up to mind, um, is if you're thinking, um, about having external support. I think therapy is a, is a good way. And therapy doesn't mean that something's wrong with your relationship. It just means that you want to find different ways to communicate together. And, and you know, that you do have, um, different ways to think of things that she does. And and so all it is, is helping you. It's not something you don't have to go into therapy because something's wrong. So I just want to make that clear. Um, the other resource that I want to share with people, and if I can get this woman on our show, I would be very pleased. Um, I don't know how, rea- you know, how realistic that is, but her, uh, her name is
0: Oprah Winfrey. Yeah.
1: Oprah Winfrey. That's right. <laughs> Oprah, come on board. Uh, I have aha moments all the time because of, you. <laughs> that's right, uh, that's no, right. her name is Melissa Orlove, and I hope I get that right. Um. And she is the author of The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD. She also has one, um, The ADHD Effect on Marriage is the other one that she wrote. I've seen her speak at Chad conferences. I've actually spoken to her personally after one of her seminars to ask her questions. Um, she's fascinating. She's, this is what she does. I mean, this is her work, um, is to, you know, talk to couples who, um, either both have ADHD or one has ADHD and how to communicate and how to work through that. So, you know, just as a resource, check that out, the couple's guide to thriving with ADHD and, uh you know, hopefully I can get her on the show.
0: That's excellent. That is excellent. Let's, let's do that. We'll put links in the show notes, uh, Levi and uh, kudos for uh, reaching out and for, you know, doing the work beforehand to make sure that you're on the same page. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly valuable mm-hmm. uh, to do that. Uh, next question comes from Tammy, uh, who writes uh, that, uh, she's dealing with, uh, some challenges with her son's school. She says he used to love going and learning, but I see signs of him becoming an at-risk student, and I find it disturbing. Our district's seem, seeming lack of concern and willingness to do their part in educating him. Uh, there was turnover in administration since our 504. Uh, she says I've been trying to do since October to meet with the school psychologist, uh, but you know she's there only two days a week uh, and is serving a school of about 500 middle school and high school students. The one, the, the one day I finally had an appointment, I had to cancel for my own uh, health. Uh, he's had a full evaluation from a neuropsych since early fifth grade. They do so. It look, looks like she's doing all of these things, uh, you know, as an advocate for her son. His grades are not good, and he has a frazzled mother that doesn't know how to go about disentangling the mess. Oh my goodness! Uh, well, I I think I can say it, we relate. Oh uh, yes, it, and it, my heart goes out <laughs> to her. I mean, uh, it's totally. Hard. Um, and, and neither of us are actually, uh, you know, we're, we're not in the school system. And, and since, you know, our conversation really is focused on adults, um uh, do you have any uh, immediate insights? I went out and did some research, so I do have well, some things I, to share. I, am
1: glad you did the research, yes, because yeah. when I first read this, my, my heart goes out to her as a mother, um, especially right. with having a, a, a middle school child myself who, you know, I've talked about is, is, is we've had some challenges. So it's, it's very, um, hard and it's really, um, it's, it's just, I I feel a lot of empathy for her because I know how it feels to just be at that point where you just don't know what to do next. Like, I just, you feel so powerless. Like, I just don't know what to do. And, and, you know, that's just a terrible place to be. Unfortunately, because I don't personally work with children um, and schools. I just don't have a lot of information to share or to provide to her that I think would be, I don't know if it's accurate or not, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. if this was coming to me personally, I would be referring her To other ADHD coaches or other ADHD resources that um, do specifically work with a a younger age group and their families. So that's where my stance was. But you did do some research because you have a wife, right? Who sort of deals with this. Well, you have a, yeah, you have that wife.
0: I have a wife, yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and a, a fairly extensive network of people who work in the schools and work in special right. ed and, and work specifically in this capacity. And all of them are uh, loath to give specific advice on, you know, any of uh, this sort of a case because it's, it, you know, it's delicate stuff, right? right, talking about kids on a podcast. But I will tell you, in terms of the collection of thoughts that I got from people who work in this space, right, number one, the school doesn't have to do what the doctor recommends. So that's that's something to just understand the doctor can give you external doctor can give you all the the you know evaluation that that you want to do, uh, that is uh, illustrative, but it, it's not an order, right? The school is going to need the school psych is going to need to do their own or make a decision about whether they do their own tests and ongoing testing uh, as a result of their experience with your son in the classroom, and so uh, that's really important to note that uh, the the most important thing you can do is find someone at the school to to work with that is on your team, someone you know, uh, get as many teachers as you possibly can. In in your court, uh, it, it, teachers who are willing to share, you know what does work in the classroom, when it works in the classroom, what does engage your son when when he's engaged. Get those teachers to the meetings as much as you can. The challenge here is that you are the advocate, you are the follow up person. The school, as you already indicated, is way too overworked uh, to be anything, uh, to to act in that capacity. For you, and it's super, super challenging. The, now, federal IDEA law sets timelines on care. So, once you start the process, there is some uh, onus of responsibility on the part of the care uh, of the the infrastructure in the school to move the process forward. It doesn't always happen uh, the way it needs to happen. Just again because of workloads, um, but you know it. it it's better. So, um, you know, once you get your teachers in the process, once you get, you feel like you have a team, once you have like a key teacher who really does support your, your son, there, there's always a teacher. There's always one who is connected with your son. Find the one, uh, that, that can really be on your side inside the school. Um, and, and that's really the, the, the approach, you know, the number one bit of advice that, that multiple people said, don't approach them as if they are the enemy right mm-hmm. they're all in it somehow or another for the benefit of your son whether or not they're they're overworked busy exhausted fatigued they come off one day as as angry and annoyed that you're calling too much whatever um they they're not your enemy uh, and so um you know you've got to work with the people who show up and and uh, so uh, that's it, it is really hard and it puts you in a position of having to do a lot of work mm-hmm. uh to you know move the process forward but it's it it's the long game right you got to keep keep remembering this isn't a short-term thing right this Mm -hmm. is this you are playing a long game so think beyond just the next grading period um think about how how are we what are we doing today to set my son up for next year and the year after and the year after that right um so oh that's uh, great that's yeah I, I think it was it was some pretty good feedback, and it's it's fairly nonspecific again, because we don't know the case, so I apologize right. for that. You may know all this, uh, but um, hopefully it's it, something connects. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right, How about Leslie? Uh, Leslie writes in, says, "I am frustrated and embarrassed uh, by the fact that I struggle to process and retain information Every day at work, I'm bombarded with questions by people who expect me to have answers as in on the spot." I find myself giving wrong answers and making myself look even worse I've contemplated having a standard response to get people off my back so I have time to gather my thoughts and get answers they want is this common do you have any suggestions
1: <laughs> yes oh. it's common and yes. I mean that's impulsive behavior yep. uh, you know when somebody asks you a question and you immediately feel like you have to answer um, and not going through the thought process you you answer it so yes it's very common um, very common also it's it's not only just the imp- the, the impulsive behavior of wanting to answer, but also not setting boundaries. So, um, if you're a people pleaser, you're going to want to say yes to things, or you're going to want to help people regardless if you have the answer or not, you want to, you want to, be looked at as, as helping them. Right. So there's a lot of things that could be going on around here. Uh, so you are not alone, <laughs> yeah, um, Totally, you know, and I think, I think she answered her question. Honestly, yeah. I, when she says I've contemplated having a standard response to get people off my back, don't contemplate, contemplate it. More. Do, yeah. It. <laughs> Do yeah. it. Yeah. Like get a get something that you feel comfortable with and just say, you know, what I tell people when they're when they need that time is just say, "Hey, you know, thank you so much for this invitation or I I need to look into this, you know, let me get back to you tomorrow or can I get back to you by the end of the week or depending on how big the decision is." But your first response should not be yes. It should be, you know, th- Thank you for asking, but I need to think about it. Or I need to. Yeah. I need to match. I need to check out my calendar. I need to make sure um, that I have the right answer for you. You know, I've I've done this before with webinars where somebody will ask me a question and I don't know the answer right away. I have no problem with saying, I that is a great question, and I don't have the answer for you right now, but I'm going to get it for you and I'll email you directly because I would much rather give them the right answer or given, given myself some time to really process it and think about it before I immediately answer it. So I think you also have to be okay with not having the answer right away.
0: Yes. I, I, I think the best thing you can do for yourself is stare in a mirror and say over and over again, I don't know. Let me get that back is- to you. I it is so important to just say I don't know because mm-hmm. the the implied follow on to that is I understand you coworker or you boss will be disappointed in the fact that I don't have the answer on the tip of my tongue or right at my fingertips but I can't help I cannot control your emotional response to the fact that I don't know right here on the spot. Mm-hmm. I, your response to me is out of my control. I can't touch that. I can't affect it. All I can tell you is I'm going to write down in my notebook right here that you have this question and I'm going to find out the answer. Right. And as soon as I have the answer, I'll get it to you. That's the longer sentence. Yeah. Uh, but what you, what you really are saying is, Hey, I don't know. Let me write that down. I'll get back to you. Right. I don't know. I don't, I know. don't know. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. You don't have
1: to know everything. Oh my goodness!
0: (laughs) The the trouble with giving the wrong answer, with habituating the wrong answer, it is so so incredibly powerfully damaging to your reputation. Uh, Well, not only that,
1: but gosh, embarrassment too. Your self esteem, you know. So yeah, yeah, reputation for sure, but just also your self worth of. Oh my God, I don't know. I mean, I'm. You know, you can just see. I'm stupid. I can't believe I said that. And then the ruminating of going, having it just go in your mind over and over and over again. Ah just terrible. But again, toxic.
0: you are not alone. You are yeah. absolutely not alone. And this is a plague of work, right? This yeah. is a plague of the pace at which we work. And I think it is so important to, to be the role model of the kind of behavior you want to experience. And being able to say, I don't know, and take some time to reflect, It's it, it very, very rarely is the end of the world on the line.
1: Well, that's right. That's right. And, and I think that, you know, you bring up a good point that it is hard and there's a consciousness that you have to have when that question is, is, is now brought to you. So um, something that I remember learning when I was um, in my coaching um, program is the power of the pause. And um, they would have us like think about a button, um, you know, like a red button that had pause on it or a, a stop sign or something like that, that whenever you needed to have a second before you responded, whether it was a question or you got angry even and you needed to wait before you responded to always kind of think about that pause button. So, I mean, that takes work. I mean, that takes a conscious effort to say, okay, I'm going to be in this, you know, here I am going to work and it's pretty likely that I'm going to have a question asked. I have to really visual visualize that pause button before I respond.
0: So, so important. Uh, I really like that, that metaphor. And, you know, the, the power of visualization is not to be understated, right? I, I love the visual pause button. I love practicing in a mirror. I love the idea of, of seeing yourself take action before when the stakes are low, right? So right. that when, it, when the stakes are higher and you're actually faced with, hey, I got to pause. Hey, I got to tell you this. It's going to disappoint you, but I don't know
1: yeah um, you know that reminds me because I remember um, talking about this with someone a while ago, and um we came up with the idea of having her just practice saying no to her husband. <laughs> <laughs> so, so whenever there was something, and that was easy, right? Because yeah. you know he knew what he what she was trying to do. It wasn't you know it wasn't a heated situation. She wasn't saying no to everything. But you know, I mean, but it was a safe place for her to practice and 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 practice that you know visualization of okay before I answer immediately. I'm going to say no and, and practice with yeah. him before you have to go say no to your boss. Right. And so, right, you know, right. finding that safe, um, place to, to practice is always a good idea.
0: It is so good. I love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So thank you, uh, Leslie for writing in. I know again, you are not alone, uh, but put a stop to the, to the quick answers. You're okay to say, I don't know. Uh, next story is actually just a story. It's not even a question, but I love it so much uh, I that I'm, I want to share it. This is Rosario writes in about our limited uh, limiting belief conversation, this ongoing series on limited beliefs. And she's sharing her uh, limiting belief. She says, uh, hi Nikki. My limiting belief is that I could not go beyond my comfort zone. I've not been diagnosed with ADHD, but I have many of the problems that people with ADHD have. I forget important things to do. I get distracted a lot. It's hard for me to follow my chore schedule. I super focus on favorite things or projects How I conquered my limiting belief of fear of driving on freeways. Oh, is she ever not alone on this one? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And to places that are far from my comfort zone, I started facing my fear and driving short distances on the freeway at a time. It took me a few years to finally drive an hour to see my parents on my own. I always depended on others to take me or took the train to avoid driving there. I was always fearful of driving on long bridges and long and through long tunnels, but just this year I drove for the first time on my own to San Francisco on the Bay Bridge. I'd been driving for 10 years within my comfort zone until I faced my fears 3 years ago. Congratulations. That's huge. It feels it is. so empowering.
1: It's fantastic. And you know, I love San Francisco. So I thought that was great because I was like, ah, "I totally know." Um where she you know she I can only imagine what she was thinking when she finally got to the other side and
0: yeah, and
1: right. uh that celebration, and um, what a great place to be when. You're
0: celebrating
1: because <laughs> <Well, and laughs>
0: I love bridge. San Francisco. Totally, yeah. and that Bay Bridge is long, right? It's I mean, long
1: that's and that's it's a long bridge. Yeah. It's got a big curve
0: in it. Like it's, it's a, it is, it is one of the scary. It could be a scary bridge if right. you are if this is outside of your comfort zone. Uh, but congr- congratulations, and here's great. to many, many more bridges to come. That's
1: right, because
0: there's some great bridges in the world, and now you can drive on oh, them. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome.
1: So I thank you for right. sharing that I think it's thank
0: great. you so much and thank you everybody for writing in these have been such great questions as, as much as I wanted to talk all about my value thing I feel like we're out of time
1: I know I know because we don't we don't do real long podcasts, we're and I think not if we to that. no, and if that's we do, okay, I
0: feel like it, it's a good conversation. I'm looking forward to your insights on this too, because this is I'm. It, it is again me sharing a trap I fall into all the time. So we will reschedule this conversation. Yes, uh, and and just be thankful for all the great uh, questions.
1: Today. Yes, thank you guys very much. Wonderful.
0: If you have more, uh, bring
1: them on. We're happy bring to them answer on. them. Yeah, and if we're on right. Facebook Live, we might be able to answer them live, like right there that's at the, the moment. Can't wait, mm-hmm.
0: Good our our broadcast future. That's raising right. a glass. <laughs> Thanks everybody for your time and attention. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright, and uh, we'll catch you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD Podcast.